I'm Ann Police. And I'm Denise Cooper. And you're listening to Two, Two Average, Average Girls. Girls. Happy Tag Tuesday. Hello from paradise. <laughs> That's right. We are broadcasting. We're not broadcasting. We're recording. Oh, old habits die hard, right? Wow. Now, it sounded better when you said broadcasting. It's like we're in a big studio. There's an audience. Well, it's a studio. It is. There is an audience of one. <laughs> and the studio is the size of a, an apartment uh, closet. In, in New York. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but we are, uh, we're in Kauai this week. We took it on the road. And we're so happy that we have been able to find guests here in Kauai, the most fascinating people here in Kauai that we've <laughs> brought into the podcast to talk. Joining us today is Dominique Chambers. And she is one of the world's most fascinating people in that <laughs> she started a business that is taking over the island for sure. Absolutely. Dominique, welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> We're so glad. Your business is called Cozy Bowl. That is correct. And tell folks exactly what it is. Um, yeah, welcome to Cozy Bowl. We make, <laughs> we make uh, vegan and gluten-free noodles out of locally grown uh, breadfruit. And they are really delicious. They come in all interesting shapes and flavors that come from locally grown vegetables. They're kid-friendly, um, super nutritious, extra delicious, and um, they help support the local food economy. And like you said, they're gluten-free and they're vegan. Yes. I first became acquainted with Dominique's product around Thanksgiving of 2021 when my uh, niece was going to be joining us for Thanksgiving with the rest of my family and she's gluten intolerant and I, I just did a quick search the cozy bowl company came up oh was, wow I on the like, internet on the internet oh yes I googled <laughs> you I was like gluten-free and then kawaii whatever and then it, that came up and I was like this is odd so I started because I'd never heard of it started following you on Instagram and uh, ordered a couple of bags of your product and I think the misconception about something that's gluten-free is that it's automatically just going to taste like paste yes these do not. This pasta is so delicious. My niece thought it was delicious. Even I, I'm not gluten intolerant. Anyway, I inhaled <laughs> half of her dish and was so happy that it was, It not only did it taste good, but it it felt like pasta when I ate it. It's, it's really quite surprising. Um, I've been a pastry chef for about a pastry chef and a pastry cook for over 10 years of my life. So I've worked a lot with gluten and in all different forms, pasta and breads. And working with breadfruit was so revolutionary because it's so dynamic and you're able to get these really complex textures out of it. Whereas like a lot of other gluten-free substitutes like rice and chickpea flour they're super delicious but they're kind of like one note wonders they have one excellent attribute and a whole lot of drawbacks 
but because of the complex um, nutritional profile of breadfruit, I feel like you get a little bit more. So you're creating flour out of out of breadfruit? Yes, at times, yes. Can I ask a very obvious question? Please ask it. What is breadfruit? Yes. Oh, I'm so happy you because asked. Because <laughs> I'm not, you know, from the island, although I want to be, and breadfruit is not off the, you know, I don't find it in the mainland. I don't hear people talking about it. I feel like that's going to change, but um, yeah, breadfruit, um, the Hawaiian word is ulu, and it is a wonderful, beautiful starch that grows in trees. Mm. It was brought over by Polynesians thousands of years ago, and the sailors, they would plant it at all of their ports, and we know now that it is, uh, thanks to the wonderful work done um, at the Breadfruit Institute, um, we know now that it is one of the top food-producing trees in the world, and it contains all the vitamins and minerals your body needs to survive really I, I i this is this is amazing i've never heard of anything about i've never heard of breadfruit i've mm-hmm. heard of it but i've never known that it was had nutritional value does it actually fruit is it a tree that actually has fruit on it yes um there's uh, blossoms and then um, so it's like the fruit, it looks like a kind of similar to a jackfruit in that it's kind of round-ish. Um, different varieties will sort of dictate like the sh- actual shape. Is it big like a jackfruit? Uh, a little bit smaller. Think of like the size of a head or a small, like it, they range in size from like a, a cantaloupe. soft, yeah, cantaloupe, cantaloupe size, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. okay. Okay. So... So what you're saying, I went to a nutritionist many, many years ago when I first got pregnant because I was like so sick, malnutritioned, whatever. And they said, hey, eat a potato every day because it's like got all the nutrients that you need in it. I don't think 23 years later, that's probably what they advise. But (laughs) but you're saying that the breadfruit is because of the travelers around the Polynesian islands, they plant those every place they went because then they were sure that they had something sustainable to eat? Absolutely. And there's a lot of really beautiful legends about how, um, like, the actual purpose of it and what happened. Um, sort of mystical things like there was a family that was starving and then the patriarch um, <clears throat> when he died he buried his body, his body was buried in the ground and then out sprang the breadfruit tree and the different parts of the tree were different parts of his body and then there's another legend that um there there was somebody who they they ate the breadfruit seeds and or they ate the breadfruit and they got very sick and then they they expelled the seeds like by vomiting all over the hawaiian islands and then that's why it's it's all over here and um so there's some really beautiful stories but i think um Logistically, it was something that was keeping people alive, and um, and that's how it came here. And it's also uh, grows in a lot of other tropical regions around the world as well. Does it grow quickly and prolifically? Is that one of the reasons it's such a good alternative to some of these other things? Um, yes. So it fruits within two to five years mm. or um, two to five years if you're an expert grower, three to five years, I think, for the average um, of planting it. And um, right now, I know at the Breadfruit Institute, they're doing some work to discover how to prolong the fruiting process because it only produces fruit from um, about like July to about February. And then there's some varieties that go at different times. But it... Um, 
I think it produces like 800 pounds of food, like one tree every year. Wow. Yeah, so. That's a lot. Where is the Breadfruit Institute? Oh, so the Breadfruit Institute. <laughs> I had no idea. Neither did I. It's the coolest organization. Um, they're tied to the National Tropical Botanical Garden. And I believe the director, her name's like Diane Ragone. And they um, <clears throat> they have an agroforest up in Lawai, I believe. And then also like at the NTBG Gardens, like in McBride and Allerton. And they, they're they located here and they study it and like all the different varieties and and how to take care of it and then they send breadfruit out to other parts of the world that are food insecure to try and um, bring food security to these places oh i did wow i didn't know that at all so the breadfruit tree when you you have the fruit yes you have the leaves the foliage and you have the bark are you using all parts of that tree in order how are you making the pasta what part are you using for your food that is a wonderful question i use the breadfruit like the actual um the produce and so what i do and you can use the leaves the leaves repel mosquitoes and some people make tea from it Mm. um but i use the actual fruit and um i have a friend that makes ulu flowers so sometimes i'm lucky enough to be able to purchase from her or sometimes she gives me some but then when i make it myself i peel the breadfruit and it has this beautiful green skin and I use mature but not yet ripe ulu which the ripening process is quite interesting we should chat about that too and um so I peel it and there's this beautiful aroma it's like this green appley scent it's just so fresh and then um and it oxidizes quickly uh, depending on the variety so I like to work fast so I peel it and then I I quarter it and take out the core and uh, sometimes I save some beautiful pieces to stamp my bags with and then I I slice it up and I put it in a dehydrator. I don't have a lot of fancy equipment, so mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not the most efficient process, but I it gets the job done. And um, I dry it and then I grind it in a Vitamix until it's a fine powder. And I mix it with a little bit of cassava flour, a little bit of kuzu root starch, and then hydrate it. Um, when, when ulu is bountiful, I hydrate it with an ulu puree made from roasted ulu. Um, right now we're in the off season, so I hydrate it with water. And um, and then out comes the most excellent, this most excellent pasta dough, and um, it's, it's it's I just love working with it so much. Um, it's it's I love eating it. I love cleaning it up. It cleans up in a jiffy, yeah. and it's not sticky. It's not. Is is it hard to peel like a jackfruit? I mean, it's is it tough the skin? Oh, okay. So yeah, the skin is it's sort of like thin, like an apple. And, but it will have those little points, like those right. little spiky p- parts on it. And then depending on the variety, some of the grooves in between the spikes are quite deep. And some it's a little bit more, it's a bit more flat. And it's just sort of like these superficial lines. Mm. Um, but I love all varieties. And something really interesting about breadfruit is the latex. So speaking of byproducts, the latex, you will it's like this blood, this white like sap that comes out when you harvest the breadfruit. 
you want to immediately turn it upside down so the stem is pointing towards the ground because this thick white sticky latex will start pouring out and it will get everywhere and it's quite difficult to clean off (laughs) and um do you do anything with that latex is it usable in any way yes um i think traditionally people used it for like to repair things or binding agent binding agent um like all sorts of things i think as of if you ingest it it's like a laxative um so like for medicinal use um, but it definitely has value. I don't hear too much about people using it these days, mm-hmm. um, but it definitely has value. It, but it, it's also very difficult to clean. <laughs> yeah. How did you figure out breadfruit is the way to go? And I'm just make my own breadfruit flour. What, what was that process? Oh, well, it's just, you know, um, I, I think I was in papayas, as, as one sometimes finds themselves. And oh, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> you were in papayas, as one sometimes finds themselves? Yeah. What does that mean? Just so you know, I don't ever find myself in papaya. I am one of those people who can't eat a papaya. Oh, my apologies. No, I, no. <laughs> I was not in no, an my apologies. Pie. I don't mean to insult you. I'm telling you, I, I have this, people were like, it's the most delicious fruit. And I'm like, it tastes like terrible to me it tastes like vomit to me i have to 100 percent agree with you but there's another alternative papaya that i think oh. you would quite enjoy it's this little health food store oh <laughs> i got you okay the little health food store in town i gotcha in kapa'a yeah. we've been in oh, there okay. okay so you find yourself in papayas yeah okay <laughs> and then what this was like i'm pretty tw- literal i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> no i think that because i i also have one of those beautiful um melee wraps masks and there's papayas all over it but oh. I myself like I papaya's not my favorite fruit so mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. sort of funny but um uh, yeah so they have a there's this magazine called edible Hawaii and um I don't know too much about the organizers of it whatever but in 2019 I was in papayas and on it was this bowl of like crickets or something and I was like oh interesting edible bugs I'm a vegan myself um I'm just curious about food so I picked up a copy and then inside were the most beautiful pictures of breadfruit and oranges and and all these beautiful products that this company was turning into uh, shelf stable products like flowers and um so I was like reading about the the cricket powder and reading about the um and, and this is my friend's company, uh, Sustainable Boost, and, and reading about the breadfruit flower and the cauliflower and the green banana flower, mm. um, I, which I also make noodles out of all of those things, um, including turmeric. And um, I don't use crickets. No, but, um, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> but I've heard they're super nutritious. There's bo- so apparently when it's bodybuilder season, right. they, they just stock that's up. That's what I've heard. Yeah. Mm. And um, so I, I think that's kind of cool because it's it's super sustainable. And um, but so that's cool for them. Uh, but for me, I like the breadfruit. And so I, I went online to the website and I ordered some packages. Oh, and, okay. and then so I was just playing around with them for all COVID, essentially, like all 2020. I made baguettes. I made cookies. I made cakes. I made pâte de I made just like I made croissant, which... So I don't eat butter, but I've worked in a lot of pretty much every job that I've had. I've had to be tasting um, like dairy and butter and, you know, gelatin like products or menu items that contain all of those ingredients. Um, And I just have this, I think there's this part of me that 
really misses those days mm-hmm. of like rolling a butter pack and making croissant and mm-hmm. and all of that so mm-hmm. i would be like in my house like in the middle of the night <laughs> with the ac on making like getting cultured butter and making my butter pack and making this beautiful beautiful uh uh croissant dough with ulu flour in it and and something that this is weird because i am a vegan um, but one of the most delicious things that I experimented making was ulu croissant because the, the combination of the wheat flour, the cultured butter, and the ulu makes this really delicious flavor. And mm. um, for people that eat those things, I recommend it. And really? I, I'm, I'm not in the position to go down that avenue, but ulu croissant is the most delicious thing. <laughs> okay, we said butter we and croissant, and I was in right. <laughs> like I, I y- you can tell she doesn't eat butter. <laughs> she's, very she's very healthy and mm-hmm. very small. I eat a lot. Of There's butter. butter happening over here. But now that's interesting because we could be in a bakery in town and see ulu croissant on the menu, and we're like, no, what is that? That's going to be some weird taro poi thing. It's not at all. It's going to be. So, I think someone should make. It's going to be. It's going to be expensive, and it's is going it? to be. Um, uh, which call time consuming it's difficult to make croissant here because it is so hot yeah um, but there's a couple companies that make excellent mm. excellent ones and i think they should make ulu ones i think that would be delicious how did you get here to Kauai? you're not native to this island no, no. what's your journey yeah what's your journey to paradise i want to know <laughs> <laughs> so i i come to paradise by way of a different paradise um i'm canadian mm. i grew up in the okanagan and i spent um, where is that oh so the okanagan is in the interior of british Columbia and Canada there's this beautiful cold (laughs) lake and there's all these cute little towns dotted along it where they grow things like peaches and apples and cherries and there's vineyards the wine scene's like going wild up there it's nice but um and so then I I, in my from like my 20s to like I was about like 20 I guess nine or something I I lived in Vancouver working in restaurants and, and bakeries and then the year before I came to Kauai, I moved to Tofino, this quiet little surf town, which I think was so special that I lived there a year before I came here. Because whereas like Kauai is like the one highway island, mm-hmm. uh, Tofino is very much the one road town. It's super isolated from the rest of Vancouver Island. It's on this little peninsula. Everybody there surfs. And they surf, <laughs> it must be freezing. You wear, you wear a very full, thick wetsuit. Full wetsuit. <laughs> yeah. Got it. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. um. It's kind of, I, yeah, it's kind of cool. And um, and you're just isolated, sort of like as if you're your own little island on an island. And, and my life really slowed down when I li- moved there. But um, in at like October, September 2019, I was like, I think I want to move back to Vancouver. I think I'm going to apply for a pastry chef job at a winery like in my hometown and if I don't get it I'll get a job at a restaurant in Vancouver and I think I need to um I had a lot of work-life balance in Tofino and it was amazing but I was like I need to I think hop on the career train a little bit harder (laughs) right yeah you need to make money I think the the urge to be creative and the urge to and the necessity to make money is a hard balance oh yes well Yes. And then I think I like looking back on it, I think I maybe was a bit spoiled Um, working in Vancouver. I got to work at some incredible restaurants. And because 
I'm not I'm not the best pastry chef in the world you know I get it done I do a good job people like my work I'm but you know like I'm I know I'm not the best but I was always given a lot of creative freedom because I was I would work with it and I would I would use it and and that had value so I think um living in Vancouver I was very lucky I was like I'm gonna go on vacation I'm gonna come to Kauai and do all these hikes and I was so single were you by yourself for I was the trip? By, I was by myself, and I I didn't really have a plan. I just knew I had 27 days. I'm going to do a bunch of hikes. And the second day I came here, I sort of met somebody. And then one thing led to another, and then I, I'm still here. And oh. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't go home? I didn't go home. And um, <clears throat> now, like, now that I've been here a little bit longer, I sort of... Um, I have a little bit more like reverence for I don't know if reverence is the right word I sort of understand that sometimes that's not always the best thing to do um, but I was very grateful to be safe here during COVID um, which I think there there was a point when I thought I would go back and my flight was canceled <clears throat> so I ended up staying staying here throughout COVID and feeling very safe and um so sort of just like to express my gratitude um I try and and do things to give back and you know the small ways that I'm able to and um and that was and that's one of the reasons I think why cozy bowl was able to start because I wasn't doing it just for like my own personal gain I don't have a lot of confidence in my abilities as an entrepreneur like I like being I'm a kitchen person (laughs) Mm -hmm. but then I was like I, I was like, I saw this as a tool to get back. And I was like, I can do all these things. I can make all these noodles and share them with people. And and it's, you know, it, it's a bit more complicated than that now. But I don't think I ever would have started my own business if I was just doing it for myself. Did you start, so you said you spent COVID here on this island, lockdown, as everything sort of was. Yes. So during that time, you started experimenting with recipes, and that's really when you worked out how to make a, a gluten-free vegan noodle? Yes. Oh, yeah. Um, it was, I think I was on Macy's. I started out with a little KitchenAid pasta shooter, like an attachment for your, your right. KitchenAid mixer. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'll just start with this. And it was... It was so much fun, and I I broke two of them. You broke them? I broke two of them because I was just making, you know, it was just running constantly. I was making so many noodles, and then... Where do you dry them? Because that's the whole process. My daughter and her boyfriend love to cook, and they they make us homemade pasta. And it's a process that is, people don't realize. I mean, buying it in a box is really convenient Mm -hmm. because it doesn't taste anywhere near what homemade pasta is but the process is quite it's it's easy but it's time consuming and oh, yeah. takes a lot of room it takes a lot of room um depending on your situation can take some resources so I, when i started out i was renting kitchen space from two kitchens um aloha honeybee farm um up in kilauea like so beautiful like they now do kawaii tempeh and um just that was like such a beautiful kitchen so oftentimes I would make the noodles there and then I also rent a kitchen space uh, from Lawai Market um, 
and I would go in the evening before the pastry chef came in and they have this beautiful oven where you there's a setting on it where you can turn the fan on high mm. and turn the heat to zero and when you're drying pasta that you can dry it with a high heat you can dry it with low heat there's all these different ways to do it this particular uh, pasta dough recipe really likes zero heat or if any heat between like 82 degrees and like 100 degrees for a short period of time um so i was able to i think in one evening with my which i think you know was about like between six and eight hours of work i was able to produce 45 bags of pasta totally dried and packaged um that's amazing that's a lot for me that yeah I was like pretty stoked on that and and but you know there's a lot of background work to do so like maybe one day I would like spend like mixing the dough and and getting like processing the veggies and and whatnot and the other day I would hustle 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 um because I was in that kitchen for two days a week and um yeah and that was amazing and then I was at the farmer's market just with my KitchenAid pasta extruder pasta you know didn't really have a plan I was just having fun and then this this wonderful woman came up to my came up to my little booth and and she was like and her her name was Gita Snyder of Slow Island Co and and she was like hey like do you want to rent kitchen space for me and so (laughs) I like went to her spot and it was like close to where I lived and so now I'm in her kitchen and I I dry everything um in her kitchen when her team isn't there working and um so it's kind of nice to be consolidated in one space but again and to like I can go um almost any day I want as long as they they they're not inundated with orders but once again I find myself thinking of the future and thinking of I may need to consider getting dedicated space um, with more sophisticated drying equipment um, to do larger scale to do larger scale but that's like that that's like just the future right now I'm right now everything's fine you um, when we're talking about noodles though you just assume that they're like a, a spaghetti noodle or whatever not cozy bowl that's part of their charm is they come in these yeah. great shapes and we'll obviously we'll post pictures of it on our Instagram and people can go look on your Instagram cozy bowl cool. um, <laughs> and check it out because it's a it's a really it's a really good Instagram page um, or account that you can see all of the pastas that she offers how do you get those shapes you're not doing them by hand when my KitchenAid pasta extruders would break. I would do it by hand, and that takes an incredibly long period. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it takes so much time. Um, so I now have a, a more commercial, capable pasta extruder. It's exactly one horsepower. Oh. Um, it's so beautiful. It's a commercial <laughs> one. It's it's made for this. It's made for this, and you can buy. They have this catalog of all these bronze dyes with every pasta shape imaginable and you can even custom make your own oh my goodness you could get your logo or something you could do like a cozy bowl exclusive like that's you well what i wanted um and this is so stereotypical (laughs) this is like me being new to the island i was like i want a rooster i want (laughs) to 
a palm tree, a pineapple. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A rooster for sure. I was like, I want a rooster. And then I found I found a couple rooster dyes, and I was like, this is amazing. And then I found this one shape. It's called Crested Gallo, um, which is Italian for rooster comb, and it looks like macaroni with a mohawk. And it's my most popular shape, and it it already existed. It's it's so magical. That's great. And um, it's traditionally it's served with like you know chicken and some chicken sauce or chicken stock um, based sauce and um, I recommend people to do whatever they want with it um, sure yeah that's yeah. I think that's what we got for uh, my niece and my sister-in-law who lived in Italy she <gasps> lived in Rome for two years yeah. and learned literally at the hands of these Italian aunties <gasps> who taught her how to make pasta but then more important the most important part is the shape of the pasta dictates the type of sauce yes. that you put on it. And so you can't, you know, it's like blasphemy if you try and put, you know, a, a red sauce on this type of, you know, noodle or whatever. So, oh, yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. So my niece, Sydney, said to her mom, Mom, will you make will you make this pasta for me? Whatever. And she's like, yes, she it was the shell shape that you're talking, not the shell shape, but the rooster comb shape. And she just did a browned butter and pepper oh yes and i'm telling you it was gone can you make that tonight <sighs> so much pressure <laughs> <laughs> i'll make it for you i'll eat it uh, no you will eat it it's absolutely delicious but because you said you had me at butter yo it's, right <laughs> yeah and it, the thing about the cozy bowl pasta shells especially that shape is it holds whatever sauce you're putting on that it. sounds so oh, yes. good right now <laughs> oh yeah it's you know, at the market, sometimes people are like, well, can I put a red sauce on it? And I never say no. Right. Um, but I do uh, recommend that they check out my Instagram. And on the fourth slide, I have six recipes mm. um, oh. sort of matched to like a flavor and a shape combination um, just to sort of guide them. Um have you ever thought about doing sauces to go with this? <clears throat> I get that request a lot, actually. And I, I'm i not quite there yet. Um, I think I may have to build my team out a little bit. But I do, um, this summer at the Aloha Market at the NTBG Visitor Center, um, me and an intern that's coming, we're going to be serving uh, prepared pasta salads. So it'll be a chilled pasta salad made with cozy bowl noodles. A whole bunch of vegetables. I like a lot of kale, Swiss chard, some greens, uh, lots of herbs, and occasionally crispy mushrooms. And mm -hmm. it'll be very non-traditional, um, unfortunately, but very uh, with a lot of nutritional value to uh, fuel people when they're doing their tours. <laughs> I think that's one thing that people who are dieting really miss more than anything. You're on keto, you're paleo, whatever, um, is the carbs. Yeah. But this, this pasta substitutes for you feel you're eating pasta you don't feel like you're missing anything well that's the thing it's carbs and people ask me like how does it compare carb wise to a wheat pasta like a durham wheat semolina pasta and i say it's about the same amount of carbs because it is but it is a low glycemic carbohydrate mm. so it interacts with your blood sugar a little bit differently and it has all these nutrients so after you eat it you're getting all these carbs but they're actually doing work in your body and mm. like nourishing and your body working against you yeah so are they good for diabetics 
that is i i feel awkward talking about that because i'm not a doctor a lot of i have a lot of clients that are diabetics and um they love ulu and they they love breadfruit and they consume that and um but i i know that sometimes there's other factors up you use more than just the ulu fruit though as your flower you brought some some bags of pasta for us today and i one is beet and the other is mushroom do you add that to the ulu flower or it's by itself um yes so the mushroom it's actually our star uh flavor and shape combo right now it's mushroom campanelle and it's made with locally farmed uh mushrooms that this wonderful gentleman named josh is growing up in wailua his company is called eatable mushrooms and he's growing lion's mane and gnocchi, mm. oyster mushrooms, pink oyster mushrooms. And so he he makes this blend of gnocchi, lion's mane, and oyster mushrooms. And I add that to my ulu-based pasta dough. And then um, sometimes I order some uh, king oyster mushrooms from... Uh, from Big Island and I make like a really I roast them and make this really deep flavored mushroom puree and then I use that to hydrate the mushroom dough mm. so it's like um, a lot of a lot of mushroom flavor and then the hibiscus beet it's a blend of hib- uh, locally grown hibiscus beet um, and tomatoes and then I make like a little uh, puree of that and I use that to hydrate the pasta dough and it imparts mm. this beautiful beautiful rich deep magenta color and um so I'm, I serve that flavor on its own and then occasionally I add it to our rainbow anui nui which is like um, a rainbow in every bowl oh, oh what wait rainbow anui nui so is does that mean that each each individual pasta is a different color or it's a rainbow in each piece it's um each piece is an individual color and um, oh. so we have hibiscus beet for the red, um, tomato for the orange, kabocha squash and turmeric for yellow, moringa for green, and kalo and uwala for purple. And all of those vegetable flavors blend together to make this beautiful vegetable medley. And it's um, it's really quite delicious. And yeah. then something i always forget to talk about but is very important is the cooking water from every single every single flavor every single type the cooking water from cozy bowl noodles will be so delicious but the rainbow makes the most delicious and it's like a broth it's clear some people drink it as a tea (gasps) and it has all these fresh vegetable flavors um so we save the when we cook it we're going to save save the the water yeah and you could use it as a stock i mean you could use it as a vegetable stock yes and some people use it to um for their sauce that they're going to serve it with some people save it and use it like um one of my friends she she was so excited just yesterday she told me she's like i made the best lentils Oh, using using the water that she boiled the pasta with. Yes, and I, I support that. I don't know if there's any nutritional content in the water, um, but I there's a lot of flavor. So all of these flavors are not available year-round. You go with what is being grown at the time and what's available to you for the most part. The Yulu, yeah. I assume that you, um, you create flour and then freeze it? Um, I had a stockpile of frozen Ulu, but... <laughs> I've gone through that already. I oh. have a friend who makes ulu flour, and she has a stockpile of dried ulu. Um, and if I run out before the season starts again, um, 
I may develop another product. Um, I am developing another product and I may launch it um, or I may take a break and go and go say hi to my family. <laughs> <laughs> Have you not been back to Canada since you've been here? No. And I was my grandma. I just spoke with her yesterday and she's like, OK, so grandpa and I, we're going to come in January, February oh, next year. And I'm like, that is great time. news, but it's very far away. Yeah, that is far <laughs> away. That is far away. And where did you get this passion? Where did you find this it's almost it I don't want to say it's a religion because I'm not trying to to overplay it or downplay it or disrespect it but <laughs> it is really a it's a different way of looking and thinking and believing in food it I think it comes down to um, the kitchen environments that I started working in where there it would be very serious, you know, and because um, everyone's taking themselves entirely too seriously. <laughs> well, it's pretty competitive as well. I it's, mean, you yeah. have to you have to really. There's people who can't cut it. There's people who can't cut it, and um, it's at the end of the day, the like from when you're looking from the bottom up, you you are like, okay, I have these tasks, I have this huge list that I need to accomplish, and then when service comes, I'm going to take everything that I'm prepared and I'm going to execute it exactly to the chef's um, specifications and hopefully it pleases him and um, or her mm -hmm. sorry my apologies no. and, <laughs> and hopefully it pleases them and uh, that and you know in that way I will have the respect of the chef I will have the respect of my peers and I will be able to move forward and I will have respect for myself and um, you and then you see people around you doing certain things and you learn certain things about the respect that they have for the food. Um, you know, I worked in a lot of restaurants where fresh fish would be coming in and and it's very important to um, check to make sure that the quality is good and then to um, uh, process it properly. And there's just a lot of it's very serious you don't because you don't want to make a mistake. And then it's also very serious. You want to you want to cook it properly so that it's not going to waste and so it's like a respect for for the actual ingredients a, a respect for where it's coming from who's bringing it into the kitchen um the farms you know it's in living in vancouver you're in the city you're a bit removed from far the farms so when a farmer is like growing all these incredible things delivering it to your restaurant and you don't have to order from like those companies that just sort of like mass produce and get their apples from a million miles away um and you're able to get this amazing produce locally you're so grateful for that and and you want to do something incredible with it and you want to share that enthusiasm with the guest um because there's a lot you know in the city there's a lot of competition and I think competition makes us better and um that was one thing I was worrying about in Tofino was there it was like there was maybe there's a handful of restaurants and um and it was it was really easy to to have people like what you're doing because there wasn't that much else going on but when you're in the city you um you're competing with every like hundreds of other restaurants doing dinner service every single night and not competing like necessarily for money but literally competing for for people's love and appreciation for mm -hmm. the dish that you're putting out and um and um 
which and you get people to love and appreciate the food that you're putting out by loving and appreciating the ingredients and working with them respectfully and and uh, doing things correctly you know which I feel like I may be going on a tangent but like really basic things like um making sure your station is clean and making sure that the food is fresh and and not being spoiled like all of those little housekeeping things are real it's like the foundation that everything else is built on so it's like you like all of these little things build up to this like allowing this beautiful thing to happen feeding people on this island which has got to be i mean i don't mean to get you know adorable about this but it's (laughs) got to be very rewarding because when you live here on this island you get to know the people denise has experienced it too because she comes here quite a bit you love the people of this island it must be really rewarding to know that you're feeding these people I think that's one of the reasons why I'm still at the farmer's markets. Um, anyone who's come yes. to visit me at the farmer's market knows I am, like, I, I'm passionate about noodles, but sometimes, like, I'm not the, I'm not, like, <laughs> I'm not getting an award for being the best vendor. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Well, marketing is a do- different animal, right? Yeah, I marketing, mean, yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 hard. it's hard. Yeah, it's hard. My, my station, like, my tent, like, everything's kind of, like, not perfect, but... I love like I love the community and the people that come and they sometimes they give me feedback and sometimes I have people they that are like they buy noodles but they're not they say hello when they're not even buying noodles and they share like a beautiful piece of fruit like this gentleman he he shared a a bite of this like red custard apple with me and I've never even tried it was like the most amazing thing I've ever had it tasted like baked berries rhubarb pie but it was just this beautiful piece of piece of fruit it was it was pretty special and it's like all these experiences happen like they would not be happening for me if I um was not making noodles for people and ingratiating myself in the food community here Mm -hmm. so I'm very like it's so enriching and I'm very thankful for those moments growing up who inspired you to start cooking or who inspired your love of cooking (laughs) three grandmothers I love them all equally but holidays it's a holiday all the families coming over to my grandma Doreen's house we're setting the table you know when I was little my job would be the name cards Mm -hmm. and so it was a full I'm loving her already because I'm like a tablescape person she had my grandma oh she's I love her so much I love all of them and she has this room where she would like like where the gifts would all be and she'd have her old Martha um like wrapping gifts and she'd have her old Martha Stewart magazines in there and I I would just go and I just loved all these food magazines and because it was like endless opportunities to create this special moment you know like you look at a recipe and it's like yes I can bring this beautiful thing to the people I care about does anybody in your family cook commercially or do have they is that have that been their provision their profession no um no like absolutely not and um it's you know it's kind of funny because you come across people and they have all these fancy stories like I love working in bakeries because you know my family and I we we go to France and we we eat croissant and and some people are like well you know my mom's an excellent cook and yada 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 and it's like I I think like my family it's like not like so much focused on the food like obviously there's a lot of food but like I think um, there's a lot of appreciation for all different types of art in life and sort of equally. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a lot of artists 
in my family. There's a lot of entrepreneurs, but a lot of artists. And um, and I think that's kind of like maybe the heart of it. Yeah. Right now, you're you're manning this company on your own. Is that right? That is correct. <laughs> so all, not only the noodle making, but the marketing and the getting it out there, which is why you're still doing it at a lot of farmers markets, which, you know, just telling that story about people walking up to you to your booth there at the farmers market and handing you a random apple and asking you to taste it. You're not going to get that kind of interaction if, it, if it's in, you know, a big box store or, you know, that type of thing. The farmers markets, it really like it's boots on the ground. It's where you really get to see your product sort of in play. How yeah. often are you, like during the week, how often are you at those markets? Um, between two and three times a week. Um, I feel a little bit bad. I skipped one of my markets last week because the rain was coming down pretty hard and yeah. I just, I didn't want to lose any pasta that day. Um, so it was just two markets this past week and, um, and one of them is at the... Uh, NTBG Visitor Center in Poipu. It's the Aloha Market on Thursdays from 10 to 2. And um, it's wonderful. There's a lot of other vendors there. And it's a lot of people going on garden tours. Mm -hmm. And they're learning about breadfruit on their tours. Um, so, some, you know, sometimes they come off the bus and they come straight over to my table. And they're like, we learned about this. And we'd like to try it. And they're it. interested because it is like such a fascinating uh, piece of uh, produce. And then at the Grove Farm Market in Puhi on Saturdays from 9.30 to noon, um, it's a lot of people doing their weekly grocery shopping. Yeah. There's the mm -hmm. most fabulous, fabulous produce there. Um, you know, you, you can get moringa. You can, you can get like bitter melon leaves and like all these really like delicious, delicious ingredients that you cannot get at Safeway. <laughs> and um, <laughs> which I love Safeway no for, shade. for reasons. No, 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 but yeah. <laughs> you got to get some things at Safeway, but there's other things you're just not going to get there. Yeah, um, I love the people that work at Safeway. I think they're really cool. And um, and yeah, so the the. So that farmer's market, it's a little bit more like a, a routine-based, and, and there's a, some tourists that come as well. And um, it's great if, you, if, you, if you're food-focused. Yeah. yeah. Have you established relationships on the island with uh, farmers who specifically work with the fruits and vegetables that you need? Oh, absolutely. Um, so I have uh, a couple of contacts that actually grow ulu and they range from uh like professional farmers to people that just have an ulu tree in their yard Aww. and um they're so like hey we've got some breadfruit you want to come get it or can we drop it at your place yeah <laughs> oh, can yes. we grow it here yeah we can we should grow some when <laughs> i say we i mean you we're gonna have dominique's uh ulu tree yeah. and then we could do like single origin uh bags and noodles <laughs> yeah, that would be so exciting Single origin it sounds so fancy like, oh. and noodles that's okay. like also a classic like thing from restaurants is like sometimes you make things sound like oh like fancier or less fancier than they really are right single origin puts everybody on edge like oh oh, oh. <laughs> so you you have to use those relationships like the beets that you for the pasta that you brought us today is there a beet farmer here on this island oh yes that's one of the things that I feel like um, I can consistently find at the market. So this, uh, the beets that I'm using right now, I ordered, I can't even remember how many pounds, um, from through Malama Kauai. They do this, um, it's this nonprofit. They're, they're really focused on taking care of the land and supporting like people and farmers and, and bringing food security here. And they have this like online marketplace where you can 
purchase your produce as well as ulu tree starts this week for example i bought some beets from them because they delivered they have a commercial side and sort of like a more like retail individual person side and um and then i just like keep the beets and process them and and i like to do that because um like I i feel like a lot of this is like a kitchen thing where you kind of like to be a little pack rat you mm. you like you like to process your ingredients and some things are better fresh and some things there are just absolutely magnificent if you process it make a little puree stick it in the freezer and then you have it stored it's all organized and you're not um spending time processing like every single week local is what you're trying to accomplish right absolutely um as i feel like a lot of us are hammering this home but um 85 to 90 percent of the food consumed on Kauai is imported what absolutely yes wow i had no idea and a a huge amount of that is produce that already grows here there's you can't i can kill a plant just by looking at it you can't kill anything on this island (laughs) if you just stick it in the ground and sort of walk away it's I can't believe, I am shocked that the number's that high. Do they need to do that because of the amount of people that they're serving here? Or is it just because it always has been that way and hotels and restaurants are not utilizing the locals? It's it's actually quite fascinating. I think it was in the 60s, up to the 60s, everybody that lived on Kauai was supported um, by food that was grown here. And then a lot of, the, you know, there's some, I think it was the pineapple fields or the sugar fields came in and took up a lot of land mm. that was dedicated to growing food. And obviously all those crops were exported. So yeah, so there was this beautiful system that supported uh, the people that lived on Kauai for like pretty much the entire time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then all of a sudden that system was disrupted um, in order to... Uh, make money exporting things like pineapple and and sugar cane and and all that and um so it's come to a point now where people are very particular about what they want and consistency especially when it comes to the food industry is so important because um there's in order for like in order for the ecosystem to be healthy we need biodiversity but if you are using like for me i use all different varieties of breadfruit to make my noodles and my dough is always different um (laughs) and it's really quite beautiful one time i had three different batches of just our plain ulu crested gallo in the palm of my hand and they were all different colors and to me that's really remarkable and beautiful and I, I cherish those differences but when you're in a hotel and you're trying to make like a gazpacho and you have like all these different varieties of tomatoes and you or just pretty much anything like those inconsistencies cost you time they cost um the hotel money and ultimately the guests might be like okay i had this yesterday this is a completely different thing i'm not satisfied and that just creates a dialogue that isn't easy and and isn't wonderful so um that's why like in the olden days there used to be just so many different varieties of apples and berries and all these different fruits like on sort of like on the continental like united states and canada and now we're sort of down to like you know a couple varieties of 
you know, apples. And, and I think there's this resurgence of appreciation for these heritage varieties. Um, but it's, you know, it doesn't, it hasn't quite quit hit all different corners of the food industry so i think that plays a huge part into why so much food is imported because if you ask any single chef like are you excited about working with local produce (laughs) their eyes are gonna light up because it's magical it's exciting it's a challenge um but it's also very expensive and it's hard to do at scale and hopefully um like these these passionate people with these like smaller scale farms that um are really working hard to nourish their local communities um they like not everybody but sometimes they're a lot of people they they want to use like regenerative growing practices and and do things that are not not just good for the crop and 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 good for their bottom line but it's also good for the earth and the soil and um i think that's that's also like that manifests itself uh, when you're consuming it. It's just another layer of enjoyment that you get to have. So you are, like you said, you're at farmer's markets two to three times a week. People can get online and purchase your product through CozyBowlNoodles.com. Yes. They can also go, if they, if you have Instagram, just it's just CozyBowl, C-O-Z-Y-B-O-W-L, and it's a great page it's got recipes and all kinds of suggestions for what you can do are you gonna move to the next level and get an employee well (laughs) I'm going to we're gonna try it out this summer I have this wonderful enthusiastic um, college student who's going to her um, her parents have a house here so she's gonna come in the summer and um and and help me she she wants to learn more about food and and work with it so that's something that uh, we're going to do which is why the chilled pasta salad is coming back to the market yes. i'm so excited <laughs> we're, i just we're gonna be at the farmer's market and i'm so like i just want to uh experience like what she sees when she sees these raw ingredients you yeah. know yeah. and i think that's gonna be really cool and um but yeah so definitely i have to I, I do need help. So there's, I think eventually I'm going to reach a point where I'm like, okay, I'm not going to be at the farmer's market anymore. Yeah. I love that experience. Right. But I think it's a, it's, it would be a great opportunity for someone to help me um, to be there. And then I can maybe focus on like production and some other things a little bit more. So it's been a pleasure having you. And as you know, one of the traditions we have here at Two Average Girls is to ask our guests to give us a takeaway gift, a tag. Do you have one for us today? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I think I was thinking about it in, in the early morning and I was like having trouble. I was like, okay, like, do I tell them what to do? But I think I have it. So okay. it's sort of like a call to action. So my takeaway gift is um, if you, is, is for everybody, it's to get connected with your local food community and that is like going to the farmer's market like maybe when you're at the store seeing like what food is grown here what food is being imported from like another place in the united states or if it's from coming from another country and if it is like is it something that grows here and you know just like taking it all in and if you are somebody that is in the food community and chances are you already do it but just like do it more is to uh, share your experiences share those beautiful moments that you have and like 
just share it because people I know sometimes myself I'm like oh you know just nobody wants to see it or whatever but people really do and they it excites them and it makes them realize that it is something special that that you are doing and I think that's really powerful so thank you so much for joining us thank you so much for having me this has been such a great morning oh yeah <laughs> Dominique you. it was such a pleasure in the meantime you can look us up also on social media we're on Instagram and Facebook to Average Girls Podcast and please go on and download rate review and subscribe on all of the platforms that carry podcasts uh, we are there to Average Girls I'm Ann Police and I'm Denise Cooper we'll see you next time mm-hmm.